Amen. Folks, we're continuing our series through Colossians. And last week, if you were here, you'll remember we talked about um, marks of maturity. So sort of the things that Paul says, you know, this is what's really important in the life of the church. And today we get to finally kind of the issue, the heart of what Colossians are facing, the reason why he has to write to them. They're being made to feel disqualified. They're being made to feel like second-class Christians by some folks that are sort of elitist, sort of these authoritarian types. And you get the sense, even as we heard it read, um, don't let people kind of talk you down about this or that. Just be really, really careful about that sort of thing. What these folks are facing is they've got teachers in the church, some false teachers in the church, that are saying, you know what, to be really on board with Jesus, you're not quite doing it enough, or you're not quite doing it right. There's some extra stuff you need to do to be really in, to be kind of really part of the core. Does that make sense? So there's people that have come in and said, no, you know, you're not quite doing it, you're not quite enough. It's almost like, if you think of it maybe like this, a bit of a fad thing. It's almost like um, people saying, well, you know, till you have that vehicle, you're just not, you're just not quite good enough. You know? I think we feel this a little bit out here. Uh, the thing is, have a big truck, actually. It is. Or it might be something like this, you know, feeling, man, I'm just not, I'm just not quite good enough because I don't have a really fancy Mac computer. Or I don't have the newest iPhone, which is actually exactly what Apple plays into. It's your sense of not having enough, which is why they make a new one every year. That you're always just not quite there. So that's what's going on with these folks. And some of these words, Kirsten, you did this so well. Asceticism is a strict dietary regime. Right? So the, the, the folks are telling the Colossians, no, you need to you need to make sure you kind of hold off on certain foods, make sure, okay, this new moon celebration's coming, make sure you do that. And, and make sure you've got this just right. The other issue here is they're, they're talking about worship of angels. A little bit sketchy. Just a bit. So there's a, 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 an inappropriate fixation from these false teachers on supernatural communication. You see the slippery slope there? They're also boasting about their visions. This is verse 18. And they've just got their attitude all wrong. So the result, result of all of this is you've got a church... That was, that was doing good in Jesus, that had been planted, was, was doing really good, and then you had folks come in, or pressures from the culture, from society around, and now the folks in the church, these young Christians, are going, I just don't really understand what my faith is anymore. I don't really understand, if I'm, am I okay with God? Do I have to do this other stuff to make sure I'm right with him? Like, what, what do I do? What do I do with all of that? And so the congregation's really shaken up. I think at the core, folks, the core of this passage is you've got folks that are worried. These folks are worried. They're worried about being disqualified from their salvation. They're worried about whether they're right with God. They're worried about whether there's something else they need to do to make sure God loves them. Right? They're worried about whether they're really holy or not. They're worried about whether the, the work and life of Jesus matter to them. And worry, folks, is really crippling and really debilitating for anyone. It just shuts us down. And maybe, maybe you come today and you're worried. You've got some particular issue or, or something going on in your own life. 
Maybe you're worried about you know, your own financial well-being or your security. Maybe you're worried about family or health, uh, how someone's doing in your own household. Maybe you're worried about cultural issues. Maybe you've watched the news recently or uh, you've been thinking about things south of the border and you're a little bit hesitant about this election coming up or you're, you're seeing things around the world and going, man, stuff's, there's a lot that's... I just don't know what to do with this. And it can cause a sense of concern. Or maybe maybe you're a little more like me, and, and when you get worried, it's a lot more internal. It's my own sense of well-being. Uh, it's my own sense of, am I really good enough or not? Do I really deserve this or not? Maybe, maybe you struggle a little bit with uh, wondering, how does God, why would God love me or forgive me when I just keep... Keep messing up. Why would he do that? Worry just shuts us down from folks. It's, it's so it's so binding and debilitating. And the thing with worry too is it's made all the more difficult because in church, far too often, we look at worry as a sin. In fact, a lot of us, if we were to poll, if we were to poll the folks here. It's very possible, those of you that maybe struggle with, with uh, chronic worry or anxiety, you might actually feel really uncomfortable sharing that in church. Because sometimes in church, unfortunately, we'll say things like, well, I know you feel that way, but isn't God good in this way, in this way, in this way? Or, well, the reason you're worried is probably because you don't have enough faith. That's a terrible one. Don't ever say that. Or, uh, well, you know, at least such and such hasn't happened yet in your life. You know, there's still there's still good things here. You just need more faith. Well, the problem with that, folks, is there's no empathy there. There's no coming alongside. That last one saying, well, goodness, it's just because you're sitting in your life. It's not even biblical, actually. So what do we do with our worry? What do these Colossians do with their worry? But whether they're right with God... What I'm really thankful about as a believer is when I come to Scripture, I realize that what God's given us in the Bible is not just a bunch of kind of platitudes, you know, well, there's a silver lining, or just make yourself feel better. What I get instead is a very, very gentle approach to those who suffer with worry. Just a real gentleness. Rather than ignoring our worries, the Bible actually calls us into God's faithfulness and God's care. That's the biblical response to worry. The Bible says, I understand your worry, and here's God. Not minimalizing it, not dismissing it, but recognizing it for all it is in God's presence. That's what Paul does here for these folks. He doesn't dismiss what they've got going on in their lives. What he does is he invites them instead back to Jesus. He says, I understand your concern. I understand you've got worries. The answer for that is to get yourselves rooted properly. Not properly, uh, not the best word. Rooted healthily and well in Jesus again. Get rooted in Jesus again. He's the one that's going to care for your, your worried soul or your battered soul. That's what, that's what Paul decides to do. 
So he points them to Jesus. And you know what's really neat? Paul doing this with folks that are worried is he's right in line with the rest of Scripture. And as I was praying about this this morning, I wanted to include here a few other references of the way the Bible approaches uh, those of us who struggle with worry. Let me read to you a few of these. 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. That's a good one. Matthew eleven thirty eight. these are Jesus' words. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. We talked about this this morning. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Not, not, not the false teachers, learn from me. I'm gentle and lowly in heart. See the difference of attitude from Jesus to these ones that are insisting in this church that they're just, they don't have things right? I'm gentle. My yoke's easy, my burden is light. Personal favorite of mine, Psalm 56, 8. You've kept count of my tossings. You've put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? The psalmist cries out to God and says, You, God actually counts our tears. He collects them. He knows what you cry about. He knows what you're feeling. Lamentations 3.23, your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You see the gentle, you feel the gentleness in that? For folks that are worried, maybe for you this morning, if you're in a place of uncertainty. So just like those scriptures, Paul comes and he puts his arm around these believers, kind of like a good friend, and he gets them pointed back to hell, back to life, and back to Jesus. That's what he does. And he does it uh, in two ways. First, he calls them to be rooted. And second, he, he secondly, then he, then he starts going through the issues. So first, he goes, Jesus. And then secondly, he talks about the issues in their own lives. But the key for Paul is the call back to Jesus. So look at, look at verses 6 and 7 with you. What's the first thing he does here? You, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord... So walk in him. He reminds them of something that's already happened, already completed. Paul says you can rest in the assurance that you have received when you came to Jesus. For better, when Jesus came to you. You can rest in the assurance of who God is. That that when you repent of your sin, folks, and you turn to Jesus in faith, Jesus actually wants to come and make his home in you. And that is, that is a sure thing. Paul says, if that's happened in you and you know Jesus is in your heart, now you need to walk in him. See, God's done the first work. He's, he's responded to your, your, your repentance, your call to faith, saying, Jesus, I need you. He's responded to that. He says, I forgive you. I want to come home with you. I love you. So God's done that work. But now, Paul says, then you need to walk that out. You need to walk in him. You need to be rooted in him. And the reality is, you don't need anything else. You don't need anyone else. Jesus is enough, says Paul. But the implications here is that you, you can be rooted in Jesus, but in another, in another way of saying it is, is you could be rooted in something else. You could be rooted in something that's not Jesus, and in this case, the Colossians are getting rooted not in Jesus, but in these false teachings. These are the things that are, 
that they were kind of banking on. So a great question for us as we think about the Colossians predicament and think about Paul's remedy, which is Jesus, is to ask us, ask ourselves, well, what am I rooted in? Am I rooted in Jesus? Not am I saved. They've already received him. That's the first thing. They've got that. But have I remained in him? Am I walking it out? Am I rooted in the truth of salvation and God's grace? Not in, not in this religious performance and this legalism. Am I rooted in the grace of Jesus? Am I finding my life in him or, or do I find it rooted over here in my career? Or do I find it rooted uh, in my own status? Or do I find it rooted in my consumerism, the stuff I buy? Or do I find it rooted in, uh, you know, my own belongings? Do I find it rooted in my own sense of, of self-identity? Or do I find it rooted in Jesus? Paul says, you know what you've received from him, so don't, don't get too distracted by this stuff over here. Come back and be rooted be grounded in the one who will truly give you life. Because all that other stuff, folks, your career, your, your security, or your financials, stability or lack thereof, all that stuff, that can change really quick. It's not a sure footing. And the reality is, it doesn't uh, supply the, the nutrients. It's not a, a deep enough soil for your life. Jesus is a deep enough soil for your life. Your roots are longing for something deep and good and beautiful. And Jesus is that. This other stuff, it's like just having a bit of topsoil and, and the plant just kind of withers after a while. But Jesus, there's room for your roots to grow. That's what Paul says. Be rooted in him. Jesus is the one in whom you can thrive. So be rooted in Jesus. And then, then he kind of starts going through these issues. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on these. But basically he says, don't get sidetracked. It's so easy to get sidetracked. There's people here in their lives who seem like they know what they're talking about. Right? Seem like they've got it together. And yet... Once they, once they kind of go in that direction and, and start, okay, maybe we should start following these folks. Seems like they know what they're doing. They realize, oh my goodness, we're way over here. What are we? We're supposed to be over there. Where are we, where are we gone? What? Where did we go? We're totally sidetracked. It's like when you're learning to drive. Remember when you're learning to drive? And they always tell you, you know, you need to <laughs> you pay attention to what you're doing. You kind of go, whoa! And if you look off to the side, you end up going that way. Do you remember this? Whoa! Back again. Whoa! This is why my dad took me learning to drive on a dirt road in the bush. <laughs> Good place to learn how to drive. It's okay if you go off. Well, not too far. Don't get back. It's so easy to get sidetracked, right? Paul says, get rooted back in Jesus. He has made you his own. And that's what that language of circumcision is all about. A kind of confusing passage there about circumcision. So in circumcision, I want to explain to you, I'm just kidding. What that means is a, a boy's Jewish parents are saying, we're giving this child to the Lord. We're setting him apart for God. 
It's a visible mark. Not too visible, but it's a visible mark that he is the Lord's. This child is God's. Paul says, in Christ, your body was spiritually circumcised. When you came to faith in Jesus, he set you apart for holiness. He marked you for himself. You were radically changed. You are not what you once were before. And there is no going back. Once this is done, it's done. That's the metaphor. You've changed. You've been set apart for holiness. Now that you've come to Jesus. So Paul says, well, you don't need this. You don't need to worry about worshiping angels or any of this other kind of weird stuff. You're good. In fact, the only... The only practice you really should be worried about is baptism, which is where he goes next, right? Look at verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Paul says, look, if there's one, if there's one kind of thing you should probably do, you're worried about all this extra stuff to do. There's one thing you really want to focus on in terms of your holiness and knowing that you're following Jesus, you need to be baptized. But in baptism, it's it's not like, oh, now I'm really special. Now I'm really a super Christian. Now I'm really elite. That'd be going the false teacher route. What happens in baptism? Baptism is a reminder that you died. There's nothing honoring, glorious about this. It's a, it's a, it's a practice of humility. I died with Jesus. This is about me laying my life down. Baptism is the symbolism of all the holy work God wants to do in your life. Laying down your old life and being raised to a new life in Him. That's what baptism is. Paul says if there's any kind of practice you need to be thinking about, you folks need to be baptized. Because that's the reminder of being rooted in Jesus. That's the thing that will keep you on track. That's That is the gospel. It's a reminder of his death and resurrection for you. So Paul says, look it. Don't get sidetracked. You've been circumcised when you came to faith in Christ. Now be baptized, because that's the picture of all that Jesus wants to do in and through you. New life and the death of sin. Not only that, but you're raised with him. So when, when God looks at the record of your sin... He wants to, he just blots it out. It's over with. When he looks at your failures and your trespasses, he just cancels the debt. When he looks at all your shortcomings, folks, and if you're like me, there's a lot of them. In my place, he sees Jesus. Now I need to rest in that. I need to stop trying to Make myself be enough. Just recognize Jesus, you've paid it all. All to you I am. Sin had left a crimson stain. You washed away Paul says, get rooted back in Christ. And all of those that would mock you, all of those that would bring up how far you've, you know, how short you come in the grand scale of things, all of those, verse 15, he's disarmed all the ones that would put you to shame. And he's shamed them, put them to open shame by running them naked through the streets. He's put them to shame. All of those that would put you to shame, any kind of thing that would say you're not enough, Jesus has dealt with them. You're okay in him. 
You don't need to worry if you, you don't qualify, says Paul. God's qualified you. And if you're in him, connected to the head by faith, verse 19, you're good. You're good, says Paul. It's okay. Christ is making us holy, sanctifying us, growing us. Paul's saying, look, you're worried about all this stuff, but Jesus will gather you in his arms as you follow him. You're rooted firmly in him. And baptism's a, a symbol of that salvation, his death and his resurrection working in you. So what's the answer to all our, our sense of worry? It's the answer to our own sinfulness. Paul says, hold fast to Jesus. Be rooted in Jesus. Cast your cares on him. He'll nourish you who feel feeble. He'll build you up where you've been brought low. He'll make you alive. He's forgiven you. He'll cancel the debts. He'll forgive the sin. He'll make you whole. And he's disarmed all the stuff that would try and get in the way of that. Verse 15. And we remember and celebrate. We, we get our, how do, how do we keep our roots going deep in Jesus? Paul says, remember your baptism. And along the way, live the Christian life. Live the Christian life. All thankfulness kind of spilling out along the way. You know, whenever we come to this table, this is a reminder every time of the hospitality of God. I hope you never, never forget this. This isn't just feeling sorry that Jesus died. This is the welcome that God will give you his life. God will forgive you. You have a place at this table. You're welcome at the table. Hope for the anxious is in Jesus. Strength for the weak is in Jesus. Cleaning and holiness for the ashamed and the dirty it's in Jesus. So as we wrap this up, maybe if the communion ushers can come on up, you guys can stand over here as we get ready to receive. Folks, as we come to the table today, I want, I want us to be thinking about this and ask yourselves this question, am I rooted? Am I rooted in Jesus? Not in a legalistic sense of, oh, I, there's a bunch of stuff I need to do to get right with God. No, it's really simple. Just come to Him. Just as Velma shared this morning, just as we've sung earlier, come to Christ. If you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord, this morning's a good morning to become a Christian. You can come to faith in Him. Say, Lord, I need you. I'm broken. Would you save me? I want to follow you to repent of my sins. But for those of us who may be following the Lord for a while, communion is the perfect place to be reminded that I need to be rooted in Him. That's why it's bread and wine. It's, it's, it's everyday things that remind us that Jesus is present and working in our everyday lives. It's stuff we eat because without eating, we die. When we come to the table, Jesus is saying, when you eat my body and drink my blood in this symbolic place at the table, you're saying, my nourishment comes from Jesus alone. 
I come to him. He's the one I'm rooted in. He's my source. And Jesus is the perfect remedy for any worry. Folks, here, here's a bunch of people that are really worried. Worried about whether they're good enough. Worried about whether they're right with God. Worried about all the stuff they have to do to be successful in life. And Paul says, be rooted in Jesus. He's not going to let you down. If you've never given Jesus a try, you said, I don't know. Come to him and say, Lord, let's give this a try. And I think Jesus will prove himself faithful. I think he will. So let's come to the table today, folks, as people hungry for the God who is gentle with us in our worry, for the God who's an answer to our questions. Let's come to his table and receive Jesus again the one who's a sure and present hope for us. Amen. Amen.